Excess for Podcasts is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts about movies, nostalgia, and pop culture, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the X-Men comic book franchise starting with Giant Size X-Men number one, our way forward through the merry adventures of Marvel's mutants. I am Nico. And I'm Kevo. And we are here to put the original run of Captain Britain to bed. Yeah. This has been a really interesting project for us. We both enjoy the ideas behind Captain Britain. We like a lot of what they're trying to do, but god damn it, does it just not come together very often. It just doesn't work. Down to the last page in the first volume was consistently left black and white. And they said, oh, kids, here it is. It's a coloring page for you. And they slapped together colors for the hardcover edition really quick. Yeah, it was really awkward. It looked like everything kind of on those pages kind of looked like the Cheers logo. Okay, yeah, I get what you mean now. Yeah. Yeah, it, it looked really rough. Took me a second, but yeah. And all the Captain America stuff where we kept being like, no, I want you to be dead now. Ugh. I want you to be dead. And Nick Fury was, oh, it was just not, it was not what I wanted. Not the best. So that brings us up to the second volume that we covered, in which Captain Britain went on some real dumb adventures. So dumb they're hard to remember, as a matter of fact. Like, seriously, other than the Queen's Silver Jubilee, I have next to no memories of the second episode we did. That sucks. I'd have to think about it. The Queen's Jubilee actually did pop into my head while I was doing the reading for this episode. So it's funny that's the one you mentioned remembering because that was the one I just remembered while reading this. Did you see parallels between the Highwaymen and Slaymaster? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I actually really love Slaymaster. Slaymaster is the first of Captain Britain's ongoing villains. I genuinely love him. He is such a fucking fascinating character. Once again, the whole moral of the story here is you really don't need to start reading Captain Britain before the Alan Moore, Alan Davis run. While there's a number of other writers who were on before Alan Moore, it's important to remember that Alan Moore was the turning point that kind of put the whole Omniversal Majestrix Captain Britain Corp bit in play. Gotcha. So what we have here are the last few issues of Super Spider-Man and Captain Britain before Captain Britain appears in Marvel Team-Up numbers 65 and 66 and then fades into obscurity for about half a decade. Okay. It's a tough time for Brian in which he is forgotten and left by the wayside. Ultimately, these stories drove the title into the ground and reading them again It's really, really easy to see why. I liked things about the villains that are faced in this, and I liked things about the story, but, you know, it's been this very, very slow slope downward where it's just been getting harder and harder and things have been falling apart harder and harder. At some point, the book just randomly became a monster comic and nobody ran it by us. One day, it just became a horror monster comic and no one checked with us. Getting ahead of myself, let's talk for a minute about the material we're going to cover today. Today we're going to be covering Super Spider-Man and Captain Britain number 233 to 247. And I I can't even, I'm going to try and credit everybody because everybody deserves credit. Let's give this a go. Issues 233 to 234 as well as 236 were plotted by Larry Lieber, written by Jim Lawrence and drawn by Ron Wilson. Issues 235 and 237 were plotted by Larry Lieber, written by Jim Lawrence, drawn by Ron Wilson, along with help from Pablo Marcos Studios. Issues 238, 239, 241, and 246 were plotted by Larry Lieber and Jim Lawrence, 
written by Jim Lawrence and drawn by Ron Wilson and Fred Keita. Issue 240 was plotted by Larry Lieber and Jim Lawrence, written by Jim Lawrence, but drawn by Pablo Marco Studios. Issue 242 and 247 have script by Jim Lawrence and art by Ron Wilson and Pablo Marcos. Issue 243 is plotted by Larry Lieber and Jim Lawrence, written by Jim Lawrence and drawn by Ron Wilson and M. Esposito. Issue 244 has a script by Jim Lawrence and art by Ron Wilson and Fred Keita, while issue 245 was plotted by Larry Lieber and Jim Lawrence, written by Jim Lawrence, but was drawn by Pablo Marcos. That is seven names in eight different constructions across barely more than a dozen issues. That was a lot. Let's get to the material. Issues 233 to 234, see Captain Britain fight a sea monster turned robot turned alien. Issues 235 to 238 are versus the Black Baron, a dude who is a werewolf and also a vampire and also a nerd. Uh. Issues 239 to 242 are Hell Island and its climax, in which Cap fights giant mutant things but then is separately shrunk down independent for the same effect, and then it goes all gladiator arena. It's not good. And then issues 243 to 247 do see the introduction of Slay Master pretty much one of the only elements that are going to carry through forward once Captain Britain returns from his temporary exile and his critically acclaimed time in the Otherworld saga. The next time you hear us, although we will be doing an episode with the Uncanny team featuring Marvel Team Up 65 and 66 because they're the introduction of Arcade. Arcade becomes an Uncanny mainstay, so we thought it would be important to cover it there. After that, the next time Cap pops up is going to be for the Otherworld Saga, and then shortly after that, the Contest of Champions. So, it's going to be quite a while after this material, and you know what? This is going to leave you the bad enough taste in your mouth, and not going to be shocked if you need that much time. Mm. All right, Kevo, let's just, let's just do this. I don't care anymore. So, issue 233, it just... <sighs> you know what? I just want to talk about it as arcs. I don't know that I can talk about them issue by issue. It's This is killing me, man. So, it's that... It starts that there's some sort of sea monster, right? Mm -hmm. And then it turns out Courtney Ross and Jack O'Tanner have access to a submarine, and there's a dude separately. Wait, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. The dude who tries to poison Brian with milk that leads him to say, perhaps Captain Britain can withstand whatever the gentleman put in the milk. I, uh, geez, it's, I can't. Yeah, this definitely... Yeah, I can't quite much either. This arc opens a trend we are going to see over the next several of starting hyper-dramatic right out the gate and slowing down in weird spots. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Just completely forgetting the whole point of what these arcs are supposed to be about. It doesn't feel like anything's interconnected moment to moment. It really does feel like these writers start with one idea and just sort of barrel through to the next one. Mismanagement of time. I believe that, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was, that I'm really thinking right now. It's, everything is horribly mismanaged where there are so many awkward slowdowns in the plot and so many weird wrenches. The milk thing is so weird. And these Mars Attacks aliens. I just can't. And we get such a complex backstory for them. Yeah, I actually, I really ultimately like this villain, but I hate his plan. It's just so weird and complicated, and why does he have this giant Loch Ness monster robot and use that to attack people if he's also got this smaller army of robots? Like, 
you got too many you got too much stuff going on. Oh, and I mean the the end there actually is a Loch Ness monster. I can't I just can't, but I'm jumping the gun here. I skipped where the aliens like what manner of power is this that separates us invisibly? And Cap is like, "Buh, it's my shield." And the aliens like, "Bahaha." And then Cap electrocutes him to death. Yeah. It's just like this is it's 12 pages and I feel like nothing happens in 12 pages, especially because the cliffhanger that sets the two-parter apart is when the star creature strikes, and that sounds so exciting. It's like when they promised us a god war. Hey, that was the other stuff in volume two. The Merlin and Roma stuff. Yeah, I actually thought about that earlier too, and then I just forgot. I forgot also. If it sounds like we're having trouble discussing this arc, it's in many ways because this arc is difficult to discuss. It is constant redirect and red herrings without ever really clearing up the previous one before jumping to the next one. And then suddenly at the end, the alien also has holograms that he attacks Captain Britain with. And it's like, wait, why are you pulling that out on literally the second to last page? It's just so random. Why even give him that? It's been a really weird ride and no disrespect to... Larry Lieber or Jim Lawrence. It's not about thinking they're not talented, but the nothing about this book ever really came together. Its cancellation was due. It needed to end. I do have an overall Marvel canon question for you, though. So this is what Captain Britain is claiming the Loch Ness Monster is. How does that tie into the rest of Earth-616? It's important to not ask too many questions about things like that per se, it's important to not get into the nitty-gritty of, oh, that's the devil, or he's Satan. I wouldn't get too involved with Dracula. Although Dracula in the Marvel Universe actually is a pretty consistent character. And Loch Ness is specifically one lock, which is the only reason that I'm asking if it was like the Pacific Ocean monster. Well, yeah, there can be tons of those. But Loch Ness is pretty finite, so I can't imagine there's six Loch Ness monsters. Or are there? A lot of things get to be done by a lot of people because of this very fluid sense of continuity as folklore changes. I can't promise you that there's no other Loch Ness monster in the Marvel Universe, but I can promise you that like Secret Wars 3 wasn't about the battle of the Loch Ness Infinity Stone. And it has the power to make people believe in it, even though it's not really there. Mm-hmm. Like I, That's not something that they've ever done. But your point actually does really stand. That is something they love to bounce around in the Marvel Universe about. They'll commit that this is that thing for sure. Next editor-in-chief says, no, it's not. Just move on. Okay, I get that. We're also seeing the dialogue becoming more and more awkward. You know, I've mentioned I hate stuff like Brian narrating how the monster's jaws are wide open. It wants to swallow me whole. And, um... When he's fighting this guy's robot monsters, he discovers that every time they're hit, they fire their laser. And, like, these awkward jumps to conclusion that characters keep making, Jacko finds a button and assumes, based on this evidence, that the innkeeper is behind their being sabotaged. It's just these bizarre leaps in logic that are really becoming more awkward and uncomfortable. I call that Katniss Syndrome, where you're just like, no, stop. You're jumping to the wrong... Get back here. Oh, you're so far behind everyone else. What's happening? Katniss Syndrome. And I do think that the dialogue is getting a little out of control in general. 
The next arc starts with Cap referring to a woman. Oh, it's so terrible. The first three panels are, London looks peaceful. A mad killer has been on the loose. A killer who strikes when the moon is full, like tonight. A whole city in terror, yet some dolly birds out walking alone. She must think she was born under a lucky star. Uh Uh-oh, her luck just ran out. That's him. And then she screams, Aye. Aye? Bad. Yeah, and it's it's not the last time we're going to see this. The next arc doesn't have it, but the one after basically opens with the same thing. And I, I wrote down when I got to that one, I'm really tired of these, you know, oh, this has been going on for a while now, openings. Yeah, these sort of end media res openings where they kind of feel like because they only have six pages, they can dispatch with certain parts of the story. I get that. We write a webcomic where we only have eight to ten pages, but you got to find a way around it. The parts of the story that you can dispatch are not the introduction and the resolution of your story. Oh, that the resolution keeps being mishandled is starting to kill us. The last two-issue arc concluded in, like, one really haphazard panel. And that's not going to be the last time, either. Now... I don't even have much to talk about in terms of the actual content of this arc per se, so much as I have an enormous issue with the bad guy. The bad guy in this is the Black Baron, and the Black Baron is this character that I think is meant to baffle us over and over again, but ultimately, throughout the course of this arc, this bad guy is a is a vampire who can shapeshift into a young, sort of handsome, in that same way that Brian is a nerd, even though he's this giant jacked monster, you know, this nerd, and then he can shapeshift into this vampire form, right? And then also, when Moonlight touches him, he's a werewolf. It's specifically when Moonlight touches him, too. And something that immediately threw me about this issue is we see Brian battle this werewolf, and then it's the next day, and he and Courtney are invited to this guy's castle, and he turns into a werewolf again. You just said he only attacks when the moon is full. The moon was full last night. How is he possibly still being turned into a werewolf? It's just not good storytelling. I think they were so wrapped up in the idea of a bad guy who's a million bad guys, and they keep making us think that it's not the same bad guy. Because at one point, Brian fights the werewolf and is like, ah, now I'm back off to fight the vampire and save Courtney. Oh, right. Courtney damsels out in this one. It is out of control. And when we see Sila, uh, woof. When we see Betsy... The only time we will see her this episode, she's being like a like a sex kitten supermodel. But I'm getting way off track, and we're going to get to that in a second when she makes her very brief appearance. Regardless, this villain is my biggest problem with this arc, and it leaves me with very little to say about this arc. And I can't even... I'm having trouble even saying what I don't like about it. I feel like the villain of this arc is essentially just every Halloween trope. We have vampire, werewolf, stone gargoyle, Satan. It's so many things wrapped up in one villain. And I feel like that was their focus. And it's part of what led to the confusion. And you know what? Until you said it like that... I hadn't even thought about the inclusion of the Satan thing, and I definitely want to attack that stupid compact with Satan. 
And I hadn't considered until you pointed to it um, the thing you said about the writers trying to keep us, you know, confused, all, all the twists and turns. I feel like they started to confuse themselves because when we get to the scene at the Thames Library where Brian confronts the guy right after he turns into a werewolf, wasn't he just back at the castle like five seconds ago? How is he jumping around to all the... It doesn't make sense in terms of plot that he could get around that quickly or why he would. And it's just to have there be more surprises that once you look back on why you were surprised, it's not a surprise. It's just bad. I agree. I also feel that way about the next arc as well without getting too far ahead of myself. All the shrinking and stuff is giant. It's needless that there's giant stuff and shrinking stuff all in the same arc, especially because there's no correlation between the two. The giant things are mutated. I don't want to get that. Fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll get there when we get there. Vampire, werewolf, nerd, Satan. Go. Well, we get a few more Halloween things like an apparition of Courtney aging into a corpse and some statues that turn into giant cats and bats and living skeletons and a giant snake. And it turns out the whole time that this guy's plan is to, like, turn Courtney into his dead lover because she died a thousand years ago and he's super sad and Satan's going to help him out with it. I don't like plots like this. This was the plot of the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion. <laughs> yeah, and that should be some indication. I mean, I, I, you know, I love my own soulmate to death, but I feel like a thousand years later I wouldn't be terrorizing innocent women to try and bring you back from the grave. That's a lot. You know what else is a lot? Burning the compact he made with Satan. And that burning down the house... And then in that fire, his face crackling. (sighs) Yes. I love that he just touches the compact with the star scepter and it it bursts into flames and crumbles and all that. Because, you know, Cat Britain must be so damn holy. I also loved uh, that he took just like a silver thing and fashioned a dagger out of it because... These supernatural villains always have silver around, even though they, they know it kills them. It's just an example of where vanity, it truly is the weakness of all supernatural creatures. Yeah, and now he's got a silver dagger. You dig, baby? That's a line. That's a line that's going to take us to the next arc, which is unfortunately no better. I've got... Five tickets to terror! Yeah, I wish we had five tickets to Halloween Horror Nights, but no. Instead, we have a bunch of issues of this crap. Nothing about this arc makes any sense. The second panel says, A military man, a film starlet, a professional athlete, a London racket boss, and a masked crime fighter. What an odd lot. This should make for an interesting outing. Like, why did any of them get on this goddamn plane? Who thought this was a good idea? This is clearly just an attempt to do Gilligan's Island as a horror story. And it, no, no, absolutely not. So many of these people would not get onto a plane with each other. You're being ridiculous. So for those of you that tuned in to the first ever episode of Exes for Podcast, in which Jonah and I took a look at 
the original appearances of the Giant Size X-Men, including Giant Size Fantastic Four number four, you may remember us commenting on how horrifying we found the flying wheelchair. Ah. This one's like worse. There's actually like rockets on the flying wheelchair here. But before we get to that, let's talk about the fact that there's giant mutated bugs and then separately they shrink cap down to insect size. It's a lot like the dude from the first arc, the Mars Attacks alien, where this guy just has so many different abilities and this guy has such a varied arsenal. He's got giant mutants and he's also got mutant slave people and he's also got a shrink ray and he's also got robots and he's also got like weird weapons that fire random shit. He's got too much going on. And it's not even like, well, like part of the problem is we don't ever get any sense of who these villains really are outside of a page, a very quick backstory. So I don't even know who this guy is to be like, maybe, maybe. One of the things I do like about Slay Master is he is at least consistent. What winds up happening is this whole arc feels like another monster movie. I feel like this book is Captain Britain getting cast in monster movie after monster movie, and it's getting redundant. I feel like I'm in a nonstop series of B-movie thrillers. And I can excuse a lot when it comes to villain backstory, but this guy in particular is one of those... He's He reminds me of Hockey. At least I can understand where Hockey got his funding from. According to his backstory, this guy was just, like, a government scientist who got infected by an insect repellent, and his ugliness as a result made him crazy and want to get revenge on... I, 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 I don't know. People, I don't know why he selected this group in particular to be his victims, but sure. But really, my bigger point is, where the fuck did he get all this funding? How did he buy an island? How did he create this lair? How did he make all of these mutants? A- any of this shit. It's too, based on his origin, it's too much to believe. And none of the characters matter! None of them matter. Yeah, and my big note was none of them matter and yet none of them die. I'm not trying to be like a sociopath and saying, I want more death. But literally, none of these people are important anyway. And they all make it through still. That really takes the weight out of a story like this. Especially because we get so little of his actual characters to spend so much time with people that are completely inconsequential and don't even connect to the story. I just feel like I had my time wasted. Although this issue did give us the phrase, don't miss the pulse-pounding final episode, Hell Island Climax, and now I am going to say that just before I finish in bed every time. I'll let you know if that is true or not. And then the Hell Island Climax turns out to be more of a whimper than a bang. He throws of his little captives in an arena for quote-unquote their final test which that means that he did all of this work to bring these people to this island for like what two hours such a waste of time and energy this is the worst escape room ever yeah and he faces captain Britain off against his oriental manservant fong Do you think Oriental was actually, like, PC at the time? I don't know. And you know what? This was written and edited for British audiences. I am by no means defending anything. I just don't know enough about what would have been correct in British culture, or at least not yet deemed horribly offensive. True. 
And, you know, Cap gets battered around by this guy for a while because we are currently in a mode of Captain Britain constantly getting knocked out and pinned down and losing only to somehow pull it out in the end, which they do. And once again, the final page very hastily, hurriedly wraps up the entire arc and we all just escape on Claw's jet. Bye! It does feel unbelievably like once again they just didn't know how to end this arc so they flailed toward the ending and then it's just over it's just over we are now on our last arc when Slaymaster strikes again Slaymaster is an ongoing captain britain villain he at least appeared as recently as 2014 2013 so this is a villain you will see many times great Does he continue to carry rubber mask costumes of ladies with him to crime scene in case he needs to make a quick change to throw off a superhero? Because that's what he does here. So Slaymaster is a rather theatrical villain. Uh, Apparently. And he has a number of neat tricks, but he is the master assassin of his age. Okay, and that actually threw me in this issue where they introduced him as the renowned assassin, and I'm like, I've never fucking heard of you before, so you're not renowned to me. He is not renowned. This is his first ever appearance. They do call him that in his arc, but I am comforted to know that I wasn't supposed to think this before the arc. No, this is one of those things where he's a bad guy, so unless you've ever heard of him, there's no reason you would have ever heard of him. He's a very secretive bad guy. Okay. This arc does suffer from the worst thing Captain Britain suffers from, which is an endless need to keep furthering the plot, just dragging it out. It becomes really uncomfortable at a certain point. You were just begging to get to the point. Or at least just kill Die Thomas already. Oh, just kill Die Thomas already. I'm getting so tired of Cap having to fight his way out of the police trying to stop him from helping when he literally is the only reason they're not all dead over and over again. That is not a commentary on these police being incapable or anything. But these police are being pitted up against supernatural threats. They're just not, they're not equipped for it. They need a superhero to do these. And something that I appreciate that we are seeing more in modern superhero storytelling and stories is the police characters who are in favor of working with superheroes and looking just for cooperation between them. And I'm annoyed that we're not seeing it yet because I know that we're still back in the 70s. There should be cops who are like, well, we need people like this because how are we going to stop the bad ones like them? That's a really important point, which is why in the 90s, Captain Britain and Di Thomas share a title together called the Knights of Pendragon. Nice. Yeah, it's not good. But seriously, though, why would Cap Britain murder someone and then pass out at the scene of the crime? I feel like Di Thomas needs to be sacked at this point. He's a menace and an idiot. He is the J. Jonah Jameson of Captain Britain's universe. Except in some ways more dangerous because of his badge. I get where J. Jonah is dangerous because of his typewriter, though. J. Jonah is also dangerous because J. Jonah has millions to invest in spider-killing robots and also has uh, millions to invest in assassins to kidnap but not kill Spider-Man and has access to government secrets because of his astronaut son. Oh, and then there's that four years he's mayor. I'm sorry. Can we go back to the robots and the assassins? Because those are not things that were covered by the Fox Kids cartoon. Remember when you saw the Kingpin order the Spider Slayer? Vaguely. Yeah, there's more than one Spider Slayer. 
so he's actually a supervillain. Vaguely, yeah. We covered it in an episode of Uncanny X-Men. We did an odds and ends episode where we covered an Amazing Spider-Man two-parter, which featured Nightcrawler and Punisher. And while we didn't get the actual conclusion of the arc, it involves J. Jonah Jameson sneaking away to secretly fund like a spider-killing robot. That's uncanny. It's pretty horrendous. Back to this horrendous, though. Yeah, speaking of horrendous, here we are at Betsy's appearance. Yeah, Betsy's appearance hurts. One of the things that I noticed the most about this arc is that it feels very influenced by what was going on in Amazing Spider-Man and Daredevil at the time. It feels very trying to catch up quickly. His enemy is now a master assassin. His sister is this sexy, beautiful race car driver. Okay, so there is... It just came out so earnestly. I combined Jamie and Betsy into one person. His sister is a beautiful model, and his brother is a race car driver. Yes. Better. Much better. Okay. There is nothing about this scene that really requires Betsy or Jamie to be there. It feels like very much one of the scenes on Law & Order where they would find the guy who might have been outside the deli, and the scene would end with... I don't know, but if I was you, I would look about the woman that he was with. She seemed mad. Chung chung. Exactly. It's just, it doesn't feel like an appearance from Captain Britain's characters. And the fact that it's Betsy and Jamie is probably exclusively to do with the fact that we have not seen them in several issues. It was like the writers remembered that these were characters that he had grown to rely on. They specifically are here to help give him information and insight about the villain he's fighting against, but the placement of it is incredibly inorganic. This just happens to be the one case where they both have information that he needs to be able to figure this thing out. And it feels so shoehorned in. For everything that I'm going to say negative about decompressed comics later on in X's for Podcast, there is something way too compressed about this book. It's just you never get a whole story. Plus, it almost goes without saying, the fact that Luke Lane collects girls. Ugh. But there will be more on that later. Indeed. Unfortunately, though, there isn't a whole lot more before later. I think so much of this arc is buying time. There's a lot of interesting self-referential comics things throughout it, although I guess it's interesting to see how it's used here. I wouldn't say it's used well. There's sort of the constant buying time of, oh, look, more monsters. Oh, look, more monsters. I found so much of this just trying to fill up several issues. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And some of it is pretty silly, even. Mr. Waxman is the owner of a wax museum, so he gets killed by a wax dummy. Lady Gila is attacked by a giant Gila monster. I understand the panache and the flair for dramatics, but there's a flair for dramatics and literally just plain fucking silly. And they do not shy away from silly here, although they don't seem to want to acknowledge that that's what they're doing. So much of Slaymaster is over the top. He's campy. And that needs to be okay. But for some reason, they want us to really take Slaymaster too seriously. Yeah, and he just doesn't come across very serious. He's getting the job done, but he looks like a buffoon. Like an enormous buffoon. Because they're not really doing anything with Slaymaster that makes sense. 
It's more of that we have to buy time to the next issue. We have to buy time to the next issue bit that has really been dragging down the book for me. The fact that this arc that is not about monsters ends with a bunch of monsters again drives me nuts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And once again, we're going to get to enormous leaps in logic when Brian Braddock finds the KK lighter. He's like, oh, obviously this belongs to that shipping magnate. Everyone knows that. Which is just, it's that thing, I can't, it's a little too much right on top of itself. And I think part of what bothers me about it is that it took several people to write this. And you know what, in that regard, it feels like it. That explains a lot. Everybody must have come into this with a different agenda. One person was like, I wanted to be dangled over a shark in a sewer. And another person must have been like, I want him to fight a cyborg octopus with robotic tentacles. And another person must have been like, no, giant Gila monster. Ultimately, all of those conflicting narratives. Oh, not a single mention of Merlin or Roma, this entire episode's worth of issues. Yeah, really excellent point. All said and done, too many people had too much input on this character. And it's really showing in this last arc how little focus there is behind the team making Captain Britain. Because then in the end, it turns out that it's not the villain that we've been fighting this whole time. It's this shipping magnate. You know, when I mentioned earlier in the episode that uh, Slaymaster made me think of the Highwayman and Mastermind from last episode, it was during the part where his henchmen were stealing the car with the gold engine, which that can't be good for racing. But I was like, oh shit, look, we got, you know, more than one villain working together. And then he just fucking killed those guys. But then it turned out, yeah, he is working with someone. He's working with Karkov. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's like Konstantin Karkov or something. Conrad. Conrad Conrad Karkov. And then all the people that he's trying to, like, bribe with all the shit, all the bribes are so fucking weird. Of course, one of them is literally a woman. But then the other guy, the American guy he's trying to bribe, he's like, I know your son is sick. I got this mint condition Spider-Man comic because that cures cancer. I do want to point out that one of my favorite things is the first page of the last issue The way the octopus is trying to attack Captain Britain, every time I look at it, it looks like Captain Britain's leg is the octopus's funny mustache, and it's really been an amusing time reading this issue. I see that. I do. Uh, Side note, so there are Spider-Man comics on Earth-616. Yes. At one point, Steve Rogers, under an assumed name, was the penciler on the Captain America comic in 616. That one I did know. So yeah, there's... Pretty much every superhero comic does exist in sort of a Deadpool nod to the fourth wall, shulky, holding her own comics kind of way. Okay, I can dig it. Nothing is more fun than the end of this arc for me. You mean when Slaymaster uses a lady as a weapon? And then gets fed to a shark. And then, like, very calmly talks about it. That was the thing that took me the most out of the moment. He's like, oh, Karkov's corpse must have drawn a school of sharks here. You're being bitten by sharks. Why not Og? Help, I'm being eaten by sharks. Help. Nope, nothing like that. And then the ending is so frustrating. This is the last original Captain Britain story for quite some time in Europe. The last line of dialogue is Captain Britain just kind of walking away saying, and we'll leave the rest to the Royal Navy. And the words, the end, very small on the bottom. It has a little note that they're going to reprint Captain Britain meeting Spider-Man. Maybe it was right at the same time even. But there's just something 
this is not a good last adventure. No, it's really not. It's unfortunately a very disappointing and sour note to leave off on. As I said earlier, more of a whimper than a bang. With that, Kevo, you have reached the conclusion of the first run of Captain Britain. Yay. When we started this, I had high hopes that maybe I'd like it more this time, maybe it wouldn't be as bad as it was in my memory, but... No, it was actually a little bit more disappointing, too. All said and done, it was interesting to see, again, where the character is going to go. I'm excited for you to see where he's going to go when you join us on Excalibur, as well as the Alan Davis, Alan Moore, and Jamie Delano runs before then. Yeah. I would say until we see you again next time, but that's not the case, is it? Because we're running over to mcu.html. Heck yeah. MCU.html is a show where Kevo and I, it's just husbands talking, more or less. But right now, we're taking a look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, film by film, having a great time. I believe this same week, you can check out Thor The Dark World on MCU.html. You can also check out Now and Again, another awesome show I'm on with my buddy Chris, where we look at the Now That's What I Call Music Volumes. And if you like our shows, check out the other awesome shows on the Cage Club Network and consider donating to the Patreon. Hey, Kevo. Where can people find you on the internet until the next mcu.html? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at kevoreilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. You can find our awesome webcomic, Kid Riot, as well as Riot Squad and Capes and Boots over at kidriotcomics.com. And check out me on Instagram at nicoaction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Yay. Well, Kevo, until... You grace our awesome shores. Oh, I keep discounting. You're going to be in the next episode of Uncanny, where we're going to be covering Marvel Team Up 65 to 66. I'm making it sound like you're going away forever, but you're going to be on the show again next episode. Hooray. Okay. Now for real. Until next time. Okay, bye.